from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is great to have you here on the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson. Whether you are tuning in from Amsterdam or Auckland or South Africa, I couldn't think of a name of a city in South Africa that starts with the letter A, so we'll just go South Africa, or the lovely grand place known as Canada, or even somewhere in the US. It's great to have you here. This is, as I said, the Badass Counseling Show. I'm joined in studio uh, by Rob the Rocket and KC over in the booth. And KC may be a little active today because she's taking a particular interest in uh, the stories today. And uh, so we may actually hear from KC today. You never do, but today may be the day. Rob, though. Sometimes you do. Sometimes we do. Rob, though, is ever-present, ever-fixing. We had a bit of an electrical problem here uh, in the studios. And Rob, and it just happened very shortly ago. And Rob, the master technician, tactician, fixed it in lightning speed. Rob, I'm so grateful that you run this show. Uh, the electrical <laughs> problem was the electrical impulses in my brain, not anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, right. But we're good. I'm here for you. Let's rock. Rock and roll, hoochie coo. So we are starting, we've got two people today. We've got Bobby and Vida. And uh, Bobby, uh, we're going to start with Bobby. We're going to take them separately today. Rob, so if you would, please tell us about Bobby. I would be happy to, Sven. Here's what happened when Bobby wrote into us. She said, grateful for your book. I am a 60-year-old female about halfway through your book. It's a life changer. My situation is my mother is diagnosed bipolar and schizophrenic. I also have an adult daughter diagnosed with the same. I am sure there are a number of individuals in the same situation. Not only would I love to have your particular brand of insight, I am sure it would be tremendously helpful to others. I am on the journey toward living my truth. Some days are god-awful, followed by a clearer view into myself. Thank you for making this path accessible. Bobby, great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. You're the first one that we've had on who has, uh, on the show, who has led with um, significant mental illness on above and below. You're sort of in this mental illness sandwich there. Uh, stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle with you, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I want to just ask you, you say some days are God awful. And I imagine some years are God awful because this has likely been going on for some time. Just as a point of reference for our listeners, how long... Um, have you known of your mom's mental illness, diagnosed mental illness, and how long have you known of your daughter's mental illness? And just parenthetically, if I may ask, how old is your mother and how old is your daughter? Please. Uh, my mother is going to be 80 soon. Uh, and I just actually recently found out that she is hospitalized in critical care. I found that out yesterday. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been kind of rough. Um, I think I'm going to have a harder time when she goes, actually. Mm. Get to that in a second. I want to hear sure. that. Uh, so yeah. she's 80. You've known she's mentally ill. She's been diagnosed mentally ill with schizophrenia and bipolar for how that long? I didn't understand until I was older. She, I was probably in my 30s when I realized that she'd actually been diagnosed with mental illness. When you're a kid, you don't know. Right, right. So she, so you learned in your thirties that she had been diagnosed at least twenty or thirty years earlier. 
I'm not sure that they actually had a specific diagnosis back in those days. Okay. I'm not really sure that that came about until probably the 80s, maybe. Okay. Um, but I, I'm not clear about that. But the the symptoms, at the very least, the effects have been present uh, your Since whole life. the day I was born. Very yeah. good. Very good. Um, and then with your daughter, age and how long she has been diagnosed and or how long uh, she's exhibited symptoms of those particular the diseases. The onset of her symptoms happened when she was a senior in high school. Okay. Up to that point, she was my golden child. Mm. She was the one that she was diagnosed. Uh, she was tested for a uh, memory retrieval problem in school, and they actually tested her IQ at genius level back then, which was no surprise to me. This is a very bright girl, but the onset of the symptoms was a senior in high school. And her age presently? She's going to be 30. Going to be 30. Okay. Um, and so I want to then open with this question. Um, you said, uh, let's take it, play the ball as it lies. Uh, briefly, you said that it's going to be hardest when your mom dies. Why is it going to be hardest when your mom dies? Uh, I think I always hold out hope to having a real mother-daughter relationship. Mm. And that's just not possible. And when you say a real, if you had a real mother-daughter relationship, then what? It would probably be validation of my whole life. And what form would that validation, if you could have it your way, what form would that validation take? That I was a gift to her and not a burden. So presumably it was conveyed to you that you were a burden to her. Uh, she would scream at me often that I ruined her life. Oh, gosh. Um, and my daughter would do the same thing, which kind of set me back on my heels. Of course it did. Of course it did. Uh, just out of curiosity, presumably then with your daughter, the, her telling you you're basically a burden to her started again roughly in those late teen years. Accurate? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and if you got that validation from you, if you had the real mother-daughter relationship, which of course goes away then uh, if your mother dies, and even though she's 80 and uh, mentally ill now, you still, by her presence- Hold out hope. You still have the hope, of course. Uh, from that mother-daughter relationship, you would then get validation. And uh, stay with me here. And if you got that validation, that would feel- what? Give me a feeling word. Uh, like I would be standing on solid ground, not this rocky boat. And describe the rocky boat for people that may not understand what you mean. Uh, the rocky boat comes from never knowing what their reaction is going to be to any given circumstances. It's always living, monitoring their response to a certain stimulus. It could run the gamut from being happy, overjoyed, laughing at inappropriate things to absolute terror. When I was a little girl, terror for my life. Okay. And just out of curiosity, is the terror still there today? Other than the terror of mom dying and you not getting that validation, is the terror, um, whether or not uh, fear of your life with your mother, probably not if she's eight. It's manifested in other areas of my life. Mm. I can imagine it would. Uh, and so when you talk about standing on solid ground versus the rocky boat, uh, what does, that if you got the validation, then it would feel like you're finally standing on solid ground. And give me a feeling word. What would that feel like? Feeling word. Loved and wanted. 
loved and wanted. Hmm. And so then loved and wanted is what you've been wanting then, presumably your whole life and haven't yeah. gotten it. Instead, you've had the rocky boat. Give me a feeling word for how rocky boat feels. I kind of equate it to going down the rapids, standing on a boogie board. Okay. And how would that feel? Feeling word. If it's smooth sailing, you're good. You know, you, you, you strive for those areas of calm because you know, right around the bend it's, is the turmoil. And the turmoil makes you feel what? Feeling word, please. <clears throat> Mad, sad, bad, glad, frustrated, elated, excited, exuberant, <laughs> d- despondent, melancholy, prideful, uh, lonely. Give me a feeling scared. word. Scared. Scared. So is it reasonable to assume then that you've spent most of your life as one of the dominating, if not the dominant feeling, being scared? And if your mother dies... That scared, the the chance, as you see it, the chance for the resolution to that feeling scared all the time and the rocky rapids of life all the time, the chance for resolution to that goes away with her, right? Yes. And so just so I'm clear, so you, your fate, your internal fate, as you see it, is tied exclusively to your mother. This cannot be resolved without her doing something. I hope not, because that doesn't look good for me. Well, exactly. And you hope not. And yet, let me ask you, prior to my asking that question, so for 60 years, right up until about 45 seconds ago, would it, is it true that basically you believed that unless I get this from mom, I am forever locked into feeling scared? Yeah. And so the truth is, the simple truth of the matter is that um, it's not locked into mom. That you can heal without getting anything from mom. Now, of course, that would be the, that would feel great if you did get it from mom. Of course, and I'm I'm not disputing that. Okay, um, and obviously at this point, with a 60 year pattern of behavior witnessed in your mom. The likelihood, and I know you know this, the likelihood is slim to none, right? That's, that goes without saying. Right. Um, and so let me ask you this. Um, the question, I so I, I want to sort of put that on hold just a second. This notion of validation that you've been wanting, this wanting to feel loved and wanted. Um, and now, of course, you're getting it on the back end as well. Now you're getting it from your daughter, the generational, generational back end. Um, I want to ask you in all of this equation of your life, what is for you personally, and there's no right or wrong answer, and only you can answer this question. What for you is the absolute hardest, most painful, or worst part? Referring to my daughter or referring to my mother? No, referring to the entire equation of your life as it stands today. Uh, the worst part is just the inner turmoil. And at the root of that inner turmoil, or let me put it this way, if you were to sum up that inner turmoil in one sentence or less, how would you sum it up? It can never seem to do the right thing by them. No matter what I've tried, no matter what I've done, it's never seemed to be what they needed or what they wanted. And I've Spent my whole life trying to be what everybody wanted me to be. Right. Right. And a whole lot of our listeners can identify with exactly that. 
I know I was that way for decades. I totally get that. And the reason we do it, and you correct me if this does not apply to you, but very often the reason we're forever trying to do the right thing by the people around us, everyone, but especially those that are closest to us, is because if I do X, Y, Z, then maybe, just maybe, you'll give me the love that I want, that I need, and that I'll be acknowledged that I will matter, right? Correct. 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 And so... um, on one hand, I want to say, and so we abdicate our power. We give our power to them, but it's not true. You never had your power. Your power was stolen from you and never given back, right? Correct. That's right. So you've been locked into that cycle of probably not even realizing it. It's not even how do I get my power back? It's just- I never had it. So what do I know what I don't have? Exactly. And, And it'd be like, I just want a little love power. (laughs) You're you're talking Martian. I don't even know what that means. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so let me ask you this. You say, I can never do anything right. I asked you what the hardest or worst part is. I can never do anything right. Oh, by the way, by the way, and I want, I want to come back to exactly that, that question, that point right there. can never do anything right. But I want to ask you one question and it's important. Um, Do either your mother or your um, daughter have anisognosia. I'm not understanding what that is. Fair enough. Uh, anisognosia is actually, it comes from the Greek um, and it's the exact same root word, root uh, pairings, uh, prefix, suffix, base as uh, agnostic. And what is an agnostic? Someone who doesn't know if there's a God or not. Anisognosia is someone who doesn't know or doesn't believe they have mental illness. Um, okay. Is that the case with either of them or do they acknowledge that they do? My daughter, yes. My mother was raised in a very strict Catholic environment, so she was raised differently. My daughter, um, she is agnostic. So she does not believe she's ill? Correct. Oh, wow. My mother really doesn't either. Wow. Okay. And so just so our listeners understand, this is a whole, this adds a completely curveball slider coming up and down in a way. I mean, it completely changes the equation of mental illness when someone has anisognosia. And I am not a psychologist, but I've studied both Koine and ancient Greek. And the significance of someone not knowing that something is wrong with them, whether it's mental illness or anything, it's like saying, no, my hip's not broken. Nah, fuck it, I'm fine. It's Correct. And so for you personally, what is the impact on you of them not knowing or not believing that there's anything wrong with them? What is the impact on you? I am very fluent with denial. Hmm. Everyone around me has always denied any of their actions, any of their behavior. It's kind of, it's a given. I I understand it very, very well. Are they aware? Do they know that they are ill. They do not. They do not accept their illness. And yet both of them are actually diagnosed by- Correct. Gotcha. Medical professionals. Gotcha. Um, And so let me ask you, um, I want to go back to the question then. What is the hardest part for you about them not knowing? There's no help for them. And I can't be a part of that system of- helping 
and I, I guess I receive a lot of my own self-worth by helping others. Mm-hmm. So if there was a light at the end of the tunnel where I could direct them or lead them to, maybe we could make a path together to be okay together, but that's not possible. Right, right. And this is its whole, this is its own separate animal. When the person doesn't believe, I'm not sick, I don't need help, there's nothing wrong with me, leave me the fuck alone. And right. by the way, give me what I want. So if I guess I had to put one um, feeling on it, it would be helplessness. 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 All right. And you know what? You're, you're, you're really doing great here. This well, is thank you. No, truly, this is great. And you are describing something that so many people aren't aware of. Even people who are fluent in, um, fluent in illnesses and so forth are not familiar with anosognosia and the particular flavor and what that does, especially. Well, let me ask you then. For you personally, which is harder, dealing with a and interacting with and loving a mother who doesn't believe she's sick but clearly is and hurts you, or a daughter? Loving daughter. a daughter. And what, By far. And what is it that makes it so hard? What's the hardest part about knowing that your daughter is mentally ill, doesn't believe she is, isn't getting help, refuses help, refuses to believe she's in it, and, and your helplessness, what's the hardest part about the equation of seeing it in your daughter? Why is it so hard vis-a-vis -vis your daughter? Because I'm her mom, and I gave birth to the child, and I'm designated to protect her and guide her and give her the protection that she needs. So it's that that's a mothering instinct. It would be no different if she had cancer, if she had any other kind of illness, and there was no care available for her. Well, and not only that, if she wouldn't even go to the doctor, if she were saying, I don't have cancer. Exactly. Mom, fuck exactly. off. Just back off on the cancer. Don't say I'm sick. I don't have cancer. Correct. Right. right. And and so back to you then. So it's got to be, and knowing that your daughter's future, that bright future of that golden child Oof. is- Forfeited. Gone. That, and, and what sort of, and I, and I know that these are very hard questions. What, as you look at your mother's death pending, my mother died at 93. So God bless your mother. I'm sure she has many years left, okay? But you still sort of see the end. There is a natural flow to life. But to see yes. your daughter, the golden child, die, and, and, and to see the the withering of the mind and and the refusal and so forth what sort of grief what's the difference in the grief and grieving process of grieving an aging mother versus grieving a young and vibrant daughter what what is the grieving process like i've actually been grieving her loss for many years because it's been a gradual process over time uh -huh. and for me at a point i just tapped out I tapped out in term that you wait, wait for both <clears throat> just so i'm clear just so i'm clear by tapped out do you mean the meaning of tapped out like i'm just tapped out i got nothing left or do you I mean the the you know fighting i i tap out i'm i'm stepping out of this ring i all i just it. don't want it anymore wow all of it and yet okay so you removed yourself and yet by removing yourself, you're removing yourself from the one or or two potentially sources of your validation. Just filled in somebody else uh, in my life. 
Okay. And there's never an end of people that need you to be a giver, 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 giver. That list goes on. There's a lot of people out there that are willing to take. Yet, uh, nonetheless, indisputable. And nonetheless, those two are at the top of the list of who likely you most want, still want it from, right? Correct. Right. And so let me ask you, back to this notion of you can never do anything right and the sense of helplessness you feel in your life, but especially that uh, can never do anything right and that longing for validation, that longing to feel loved and wanted. um, What percent of your validation of self, of your own sense of identity, is uh, of the power to validate you and make you feel a sense of worth what percent of that, if it's a 0% up to 100%, what percent of your feeling sense of worth is owned by the mother and the daughter in your life? If you put them together, what percent do they own your sense of worth? I think it's declining. The more I work on me and following your book has been so helpful for that. It's given me an outline, a curriculum to follow. So I can actually feel a transition in that process. So at this point, I'm going to have to say it's probably 60-40. 60%. Okay. They still hold 60%. 60%. Okay. And that, <clears throat> great. But you're, you say you're gaining. You're making progress. I'm gaining. That I'm number is getting smaller. Prog- That's yes. fantastic. And yes. let me ask you, what do you, what is the single hardest thing or the single biggest thing that... Um, sort of power over your sense of self-worth, what, you, what is the biggest thing that they still have in that equation? The sense that I've never been able to care for them properly or, or help them or resolve the issues. I'm helpless to resolve the issues. And your worth is tied up in help them, fix them. That if I can't do that, I can't feel worth. Yes. I fundamentally am purchasing. I'm having to purchase. I give this and then maybe I'll get it back. So it's it's validation by proxy that I have to go through this person in order for me to feel a sense of self-worth. I'm going to ask you an extremely dumb question, but it's an honest question. All right? Yes. What would it take for you to no longer need them to validate your worth? What would it take for that to happen? I'm not sure it could happen right away. And But the question is, what would it take? What would it take? I'm not sure I recognize that either right. at and, this point. Right, which is kind of why it was a dumb question because it's like saying, you know, it's like saying to your cancer doctor, doc, and the doctor says, so what kind of surgery do you think you need here? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm at a loss right. of, of what path to go down to achieve that. Let me ask you this result. question. Let me ask you this question. And, uh, but be honest with me, totally honest. And I have no doubt you have been, but uh, <laughs> what percent, if you were to be totally honest, if you were to just sort of quiet your mind a minute, and you can even close your eyes if you need to, what percent do you genuinely, at the depths of who you are, what percent do you love you? If you were to be truly honest, I love me through my creator. Again, I'm deeply spiritual in that mm-hmm. respect. And what percent never do you love fail you? me? What percent do you love you? Knowing that your creator don't create no junk, 
Correct. Yes. What I'm going to say, seventy percent. You seventy percent love you. You genuinely yeah, absolutely. 70, okay. Absolutely. Second question. Absolutely. What percent do you like you? Just like you, and maybe there's no distinction for you, but for some people there is. That's why I want to ask that follow up question. What percent do you like you? Probably fifty five percent. Fifty five percent. And in those two questions, what is the single biggest thing? that you love the very most about yourself? If you were to be told that you love, regardless of what anybody else thinks, what do you love about you? I love being spontaneous. I love living life out loud. I plan on going into my grave, pulling in sideways, screaming at 100 miles an hour. Love it. I love living life large. Living large. And I, and I, and I do that in my career. I do that in, I show horses. My husband's a farrier. We travel and we both tend to live life at its fullest in that that. respect. Love that. Now, final question is this. In one sentence or less, what is the single biggest bad thing you think about yourself that comprises most of the 30% of you that you don't love and the 45% of you that you don't like? In one sentence or less, what's the biggest thing? It's not the only thing, I'm sure, but what's the biggest thing that you don't like about you or don't love about you? I reach that threshold and I just tap out emotionally and physically. I'll just get to a point where I've tried, 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 and then I've got nothing left. And you see that as a bad thing? Yes. Oh, and why, just so I'm clear, just so I'm clear, why is that a bad thing to tap out emotionally, to check out why, help me understand briefly, why is that a bad thing? Uh, it's because it's I haven't finished. Yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you something. You may not want to hear it, uh, <laughs> but I tap out all the time. The reason that I have so much life energy, the reason that I spend my life, this morning I was up. At 3 a.m., I woke up in the middle of the night to go potty, come back in, can't go back to sleep. I get on my phone and I start throwing, scrolling through. I get about a thousand messages a week, whether through text, through DM, through email, and I try to reach out. I can't get to all of them, but I try. And I right. stop when I don't want to anymore. Or if somebody's being mean or rude, boom, you're done. Or if I run out of energy, I'll do, you know, four, Rob and I will do four hours of taping. He's older than me, he's got more energy than me, but I'll go home, I'll take a fucking nap. I tap out all the time. Okay. I, I don't like people in my physical space. At times, I have to be alone. All those woods you see me in in the videos, I go out and hang in the woods, you know, even though there are ticks and, you know, I don't know what part of the country you're from, uh, but uh, out here in the sort of New England, New York City area, we have- Okay, then you know about ticks, Lyme, <laughs> I Connecticut, I right, do. right. Okay, yes. you have to tap out. Anybody okay. in any helping profession- there were consequences for me tapping out when I was a little girl. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You just drew the thread. Correct. Yes. To the beginning, the tapping out was bad. Checking out, right. saying I have to stop. That was bad. In other well, words, you were taught a lie. I, I, yes and no, because the situation that I was in, I had a younger brother that I had to take care of, and I had an alcoholic father who was not available. So if if I tapped out. He didn't get the care he needed. Right, because you had parents didn't get done. Parents who were so fucking irresponsible that they're putting an older sibling in charge of a younger sibling because dad's drunk and mom is 
presumably often her mental illness, refusing yes. to believe she has mental illness. Well, we walked around eggshells not trying to get her to go off on us. Of course I you did. I always protected my little brother. Of course you did. Of course you did. And no one was protecting you and no one was protecting him. Okay. So the consequences, right. But the consequences when you become older are just that they seem as significant. That's the word, isn't it? Seem. Yes. Seem. That's right. No, you have to, especially now, especially in the sandwich that you are in, you have to give yourself permission. And the mere act of giving yourself permission to quit daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, or a relationship entirely the underlying message of quitting relationships, and we're going to see this in our conversation with Vita coming up, the underlying message of quitting relationships or pulling back from relationships, as you have already done with both your mother and your daughter, the underlying message that you are shouting to the universe or to your God, you claim the center of your life is you're saying, I matter. Because the truth is, the truth is, you're the one who says, I'm God and, and Jesus, and hey, God bless you. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a former Lutheran pastor. I get it. Yes. But by you not doing that, you are telling God, forgive me, but you're saying, fuck you, God. I'm crap. And God's saying, no, I don't make no junk, kiddo. So you are looking God in the face, and you are spitting. Every time you deny your needs, and God speaks from within, that inner voice, for the agnostics and atheists, it's the same inner voice. It's just that where they, you, the voice of the universe, the voice of God meets your voice. And it is saying, I need rest. And you weren't allowed to listen to that voice because the parents were being irresponsible. But now you have to be responsible to that voice because God is saying, rest, my child, yes. rest. And that is and you I, confirming and, and your voice. You don't sit comfortably in that place. No, not at first. <laughs> but you have to flush out all of the anxieties. How do I feel right now? You get that pad of paper. One rehab mm-hmm. technique that some rehabs use is they'll tell that kid who's been on drugs or whatever, go sit on a park bench for three hours. You can't do anything. And by the way, you get a pad of pen and a paper. And that's it. Right. That's it. Okay. Right. So anyway, my point is, is the love for you has to be expressed in the form of saying no in the form of quitting doing, because your worth is not in your doing, your worth is in your being. And you merely stopping and taking time to be with yourself is a validation of I matter. My voice, my energy matters. I had an interesting offshoot to that. I I read that portion in your book and I followed it to the letter, which was very helpful. The view that I took on it is I viewed myself as a funnel where I would put the people in the middle of the funnel that mattered to me. Mm -hmm. Then there were people that resided on the outside of the funnel that didn't receive any energy from me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't so much what I was doing for the people that I loved. It was the who I was doing it for. And some of them were overwhelming. And and those names could be transferred in and out of the funnel at any given time. Mm. And that allowed me to have a little more power over who I put my energies into. Right. And now the purpose of the funnel is to have all the energy from all those things that give you life, that breathe life into you, pouring into you, because you're not going to have energy to give. I don't have energy to give to other people unless I am making sure that vessel is clean. I'm bringing it into me, which means I'm also, sometimes I close the bottom of that funnel. My energy doesn't go to anyone. I put in a filter. 
I, I put in a filter. Love that. I love that. <laughs> well, Bobby, um, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I know we move very, very quickly, but you were very, very good at naming thank feelings you. and drilling down. You were great. Thank you. And and you spoke truths that so many of our listeners uh, are struggling with. And I, I'm I understand so I'm not alone. I understand that I am not alone. And yeah. if there are any words that I have that could help others, that's that's why I do it. You you have by simply telling your story and especially the whole element of the anosognosia and just how hard it can be. But you validating your need to take care of you is the most important thing in all of this because you have a right to live. You have a right to live. And it's Thank time you. for you to be happy and come alive because you've lived long enough under the old lies that you were taught that your worth has only come through buying it from someone else. And those days are done. Bobby, thank you so much for being on the show. And we're going to take a quick break and come right back to hear about Vita right after this. The holiday season is just around the corner. And if you're anything like me, you struggle to find the perfect gift for those loved ones that could use a little pick-me-up. Badass wisdom is the perfect gift to give your friends and family that just need a good hug, but in book form. Badass wisdom is out now on paperback and audiobook on badasscounseling.com. And if I'm being honest, you're a fucking moron if you don't buy it. Happy holidays from me to you. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now back to the badass. Yes, we are back. Wow. Wow. What a story. Rob, what do you think of that story? I was impressed with uh, her positive attitude under such difficult conditions. Very impressive. Well, and and but it's so it so sounded to me like the positive attitude wasn't just put on; that that was hard earned. <laughs> it was real, and she understood she was helping others, which is big. Yeah. Well, and just the courage to tell your story, but then the courage to go into that lifetime of pain and get it out. That positive is coming from an authentic place, you know? For sure. Yeah, how some people can just paper it over or pretend, but I, I don't get the pretend there. None at all. Um, and so we've got, we're going a completely different direction now uh, with Vita. Tell us about Vita, please, Rob. Very well. Vita wrote to us and said, growing up, I was reminded daily that everyone mattered but me. The only reason I didn't die was because I decided to live for the sake of others. It was also the reason I haven't truly lived. My family attempted to control every aspect of my existence, how I speak, chew, stand, dress, think, feel, yet they completely failed to control their own emotions and our situation. My mind is often that obnoxious parent rendering me anxious, helpless, and ineffective. I'm 36, and my longest romantic relationship lasted two and a half months. I have two degrees, yet I haven't felt comfortable in any of my jobs. I know I am fierce and capable, yet I constantly allow people to trample all over me. I am making significant progress in my healing with Sven's podcast, journaling, and counseling. However, it is slow, and I would be very grateful if Sven could help me rip off the Band-Aid and speed things up. Vita, it's great to have you on the show. Hello. Thanks so much for coming on. Um... And so that's uh, that's a whole lot of life that has been sort of commanded to you and how you're supposed to be um, and how you're supposed to act and so on and so forth. In that whole equation of your life, um, 
what's and where you're at now, what's the hardest part? What are you struggling with most? You know, like anywhere I poke, there's a hard part. There's like innocent memories. And when I journal, there's like I didn't want to even live there or something. So but at the moment, something that came crawling out of me was like, okay, my parents mistreated me. I have had no choice in choosing them. I had no word in that. And now I realize that part of going into deep depression was people whom I chose to put trust in, people whom I thought were trustworthy and, um, you know, where I, I thought I'm using my intelligence, I'm using my intuition to trust or people who had to look after me by the job role, by the, you know, um, vocation they have, how easily they would, you know, drop me and how I, because of how I was raised, that because I chose, I, I accepted that I don't matter. I would let it slide and let it slide and let it slide. And so the the piece then in one sentence or less, if you were to sum it up, the piece, the aspect of all of this that you are struggling with the very most is what? What's the single hardest part? I don't trust humans, humanity. And that is primarily, if I'm hearing you correctly, because everyone has let you down or hurt you. Is that it? Um, also, I don't trust myself in doing the right thing in that equa equation of human life. I don't, you know, the message I was taught was I was like, I'm inadequate. And I always wonder, like, is it going wrong because I'm inadequate or because someone's being an ass to me? So it's just, yeah. Okay. And uh, so you feel you can't trust people and you can't trust yourself. And the reason you feel you can't trust yourself is because I'm inadequate. I'm not good enough. And so how may, my decisions are probably fucked up. And what I am thinking or doing or wanting or feeling is probably wrong. Uh, is that somewhat in the ballpark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's improving, but there's so much of it still. If you were to sum it up, again, in as best you can, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. um, as best you can into one sentence, what was the single biggest message you got about yourself? What do you remember hearing about yourself or being told about yourself, or maybe it was implied and not explicit, what was the biggest message you got about yourself growing up? I'll say what comes to my mind now. It may be not true, mm -hmm. but you're an abomination. An abomination. Okay. In what way were you an abomination? What, what do they mean by that? What my parents thought. What was said to you. Me? Yes. If your parents. Uh, what was said to me. Yes. What was said to you that made you dislike yourself the most? How, what was the message they said to you? What was it they conveyed to you? Was it, uh, so I'll give you some examples. I'll give you some examples. Mm -hmm. I've had clients who have had it said to them, you know, you're just a dumb little boy. You're stupid. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. You're a dirty little whore, just like your mother. You're the pretty one. Your sister is the smart one, implying that you're not smart. There are all sorts of messages. What's a me or what's your problem, T Tommy? What's your problem? 
which implies you're dumb, Tommy. Okay, so how was the message conveyed to you? How were the messages conveyed? What was said to you that you remember from your childhood? Um, once my therapist asked me to write all the things that my family told I was normal because, and I think it came out as about six or eight pages of A4 messages, verbal messages. And, you know, one of those things was also the consistency of nonverbal messages. Like my dad would look at me and he'd, he'd look disgusted. Mm. My mom would, she would always snap at me. She, she used me as an emotional dumpster. Mm. My grandmother would talk about me with my mom like, oh, she, who does she think she is? She's so selfish. She's so horrible. Um, you know, have you seen an idiot like that? Like, it's just like, and. Of all the messages that were, so it's both nonverbal and verbal. Um, and uh, by the way, wherever you are from, your command of the English language is excellent. Um, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and you said there were pages of different messages you got. What is the one that rings in your head the most? What is the biggest one for you of all the messages you got from them? When my parents started splitting up, my dad started only sleeping at home. And before, like till the age of four, I felt loved. I felt I was a part of family from five. I, I didn't know what family means. I didn't know. I didn't have any emotion towards my father, mother, anyone. And I remember once coming home and there was like my dad lying on the bed, but I, I could see his clothes, but not his head. He put his head in the, in the, how to say, in his sweater somehow. Mm -hmm. And he comes out and like, Literally, I am nothing to him. I was his daughter before that. And now he spent days coming home and not even saying hello. And I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't know what am I supposed to do. I, You know, sometimes I even doubted, do I exist? I, I, I remember sitting and thinking, do I exist? Am I like space? Like, you know. Wow. Do I exist? That you And that was, that started around roughly age four, you said? At four, I was still happy. I had a great grandmother who loved me, and I loved her. And then from the age of five, I think, I know I didn't want to live. I was so sure. But at the age of four, I decided that suicide is a nonsense. And, you know, if you don't want to live for yourself, live for the society. By, you said by age five, I knew I didn't want to live. By age four... Prior to I that. think it was either five or six, definitely before seven. Just out of curiosity, how do you know definitely by seven? I'm just curious. Uh, because of there was a renovation in the flat done, and I remember it was the old wallpaper, and it was that the, the wallpaper was changed before I was seven. It's the silliest things that can mark the memory in our brain. Like I had to check, you know, there was time when I remembered everything very clearly, sure. and I couldn't live with because of those memories. Sure. Um, and so just so I am clear, you were having not just some random thought, you were literally having serious discussions in your head about wanting to die, but suicide's a bad idea, you know, and so I'll just live for other people at ages four, five, and six. I, how to say, at I think five, four wasn't, okay. it was just basically, 
I was told what suicide is yeah. and I had made up that kind of, you know, connection in my mind, yeah. decision. And at age five, six, I remember I would sit and I knew I don't want to live. I would have chose death at that point. And then, you know, eventually I had to kind of give myself some sort of permission to live, I think. So somewhere along the lines, I think, you know, after 10, I was, yeah, like, you know, I can't have it for myself fully. So, you know, I'll, I'll have fun helping others. I'll, I'll feel great. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm meaningful. I'm enjoying myself. I had moments when, you know, I'd let go of everything and I'd be so happy. Um, and, and okay, so for our listeners to catch their breath mm-hmm. a little bit and, and sort of let that sink in. People, she had thoughts of suicide and gamed it out and deciding to live at age four and five. At age four and five and six, four and five. You're not in the United States. You're not even in school yet at age four. You're in yeah. kindergarten at age five. Kindergartner deciding about suicide and living. A kindergartner. This is just the level of utter incompetence and and beyond incompetence of parenting, of spite and hurtfulness being rained down on a child at that age. What the fuck do you think is going to happen to that child when they're 10, when they're 20, when they're 30? I have to ask, and this is an honest question. I'm Mm -hmm. so mad at your parents right now. I'm so fucking mad at your parents right now. I hate them. That a child was suicidal at ages four and five and six. Fuck them. I'm so mad at your parents right now. And your grandmother too, because she was clearly on. Hey, let's, because you said, you said there was one good grandma, but then you said there was another one that would say things. great grandmother. Great. Great grandmother. Okay. I didn't know if you thought she was great or she was a great grandmother. Okay. (laughs) I had a great grandmother. Okay. So your grandma was a shit and she was piling on. Hey, what's, what's Vita's problem? You know, what's Vita's problem? She. Oh yeah. Okay. So everybody's jumping and piling on you. You're trying to protect your fucking brother. Okay. I wasn't. No, no, no. Okay, okay. My I think bad. The brother was. I, I had a brother, and I, I was just literally stone, like ice cold inside. Gotcha, for gotcha, many years. gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, and so you were just. Of course, you were frozen. I'm going to ask a very hard question, but it's an honest question. You don't want to answer it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You can tell me to go fuck myself. You don't have to touch the. But I want to know um, if you're comfortable. Why haven't you killed yourself since? I mean, and I don't mean in childhood. I mean now. I mean when you're in this depression. First of all, how, if I may ask, how old are you? If that's uh, 36. A, 36. Why didn't you kill yourself when you were 22 or 30 or 36? Why haven't you killed yourself? I mean, to have that shit inside of you, your entire life, people say, oh, just get on with your life. Well, you and I both know that's just bullshit. You can't just get on with your life. Fuck you. Why haven't you killed yourself, Vita? You know, the stupidest thing is, that decision counted. Like I made a decision that I'm not going to smoke. It's stupid. It's just fair pressure. And I never smoked. So that four years old decision in my life, literally, you know, it was a decision. It counted. And then, okay, as Bobby, wow, I found like, I love nature and I found God. And sometimes it would be like, you know, I'd be sitting on the sofa lamenting my life and, you know, crying out 
how fucked up everything is and you know that world makes no sense and the mo- next moment i'm no like i'm one with universe and all this is just a laugh as as a game and and there was that kind of it's just so bizarre and i had hope i had like i at some point i had friends and because i didn't draw any boundaries it did got sour eventually then i had hope for academia it did get sour eventually. Then I had hope to find calling and I, you know, I had another thing that didn't work out. Um, but because, because also I developed that kind of, there was that thing for me that suicide is wrong. So I didn't even go as far as considering should okay. I kill myself. Okay. There was also, but however, at some point I did buy myself a high visibility jacket because i knew the way i cycle on the roads you know could do the job for me i did a lot of uh dangerous sports like rock climbing and stuff uh i would risk things like you know when they say if you don't risk everything you don't live yeah so i'd risk everything and the reason and the reason you would do high risk sports the reason you would risk everything let me ask you this what was the feeling you were wanting to feel in one word or one sentence what were you wanting to feel what was the real why alive because as you said you had been frozen locked up frozen in childhood and no doubt in in adulthood uh, as well. And so that desire to feel alive at this age right now at 36, do you ever feel if you were to be totally honest or not, do you ever, what percentage of your life are you actually feeling? Because you said, I wanted to feel alive when mm-hmm. I did the high risk sports. Okay. So then you were feeling, you were feeling alive. What percentage of the time in a 24 hour day in a 365 day year, what percent of the time roughly are you feeling something? Just anything. I I am feeling and I'm aware, for example, I'm aware that I'm distracting myself. I do a lot and a lot of distracting. And sometimes like, you know. Distracting knew, so that you won't feel? That I can sit with that kind of feeling without it bubbling up. And sometimes, yeah, I, I journal a lot. So I do open those boxes quite regularly. And I do let like, you know, some... Once I said to my my counselor, she was like, "How's your childhood feels?" And I'm like, "It's like projectile vomiting, <laughs> you know." So and so, what percent in your life? What percent of the time are you feeling? Eighty-seven. Okay. And what is the biggest? And is that too much? Does that feel like too much? Now, like you know, I've been listening for you probably since the beginning of the year. I quit the job when, uh, which I had uh, like extreme taker boss. I went no contact with my mom and my grandma. I went low contact with everyone else. I pre- literally cut out about a person that matters to me a month because I, I say like, look, this doesn't work for me. And they're like, I'm not going to think and about what are these how you cha- feel every time. I'm and listening. what are these changes doing for your own energy and your own sense of worth? They're giving me space and there are days that when I enjoy myself, when I feel myself, when I feel like, you know, I feel joy and I feel happiness and I feel like, you know, like I never got into alcohol and cigarettes because with my then friends being outdoors doing, you know, activities, I'd get so happy. I'd pretty much be higher than high. Sure. So I knew that in good situation, I can be there. 
So, and, and then, you know, I'm, I can get quite happy by myself. And I know many people, especially from where I'm from, they don't tolerate that. And you see, when I thought, when I thought like at four years old, I was a bubbly, happy, of course a life child. Because that's what at children five, are. Six, yep. I was like someone like, you know, like a quiet mouse in the corner. Uh-huh. And I thought, how did my parents not notice? And then I realized they preferred the quiet mouse. Right. They didn't have to deal with the bubbly child. Well, and they were so caught up in their own shit. They couldn't oh, yeah. step out of their own lives to notice that they had lost their daughter, that they had caused that. And, and you've been, you know, you were lost for a long time, though you had such a sense of self that you made a, a vow to stay alive and to have fun helping others and so forth. So the question was, the question I just asked you, um, and I want you to um, tell well, me. Let me let, can I finish answering? Because I started so far away. Literally, I give myself space. I now allow myself to drop everything. And today, I literally, I literally done nothing till half of the day. Had a, had breakfast, had a nap. How does that feel? It is self care. I like literally, however ridiculously it seems, how much I need time for something. I haven't got a new job because I, you know, how does I, it feel? It takes, but how does it feel? It feels. How does it feel? It feels good. There we go. I have hope again, and it's not a hyped up hope. And what is still in the list? Um, if you've read my book or um, you've uh, no doubt uh, heard me talk about diamonds and raw sewage and this notion of making a list of all the things, the diamonds, that all the things in your life that breathe life into you. And then the raw sewage is all of the things that are dumping either internally or externally dumping negative energy. Not just they're negative, but it's bleeding your energy or it bores you or it numbs you or it sucks the life out of you like a bad job or a person you can't trust. Mm-hmm. Of all the raw sewage still existing in your life, whether internally or externally, mm-hmm. what is the biggest source of negative energy, of bleeding, just taking the life energy out of you? What is the biggest source of life energy in your life presently? In one sentence or less, what is the biggest source of raw energy in your life, bleeding your life energy? Not having material security. Not having material security. Okay. I've never had home since age of four. And now one of the reasons I haven't cut the other side of my family off is because the place I'm renting is from their side. I understand. And... You know, it's only two years that I haven't shared accommodation with people. And and the idea, and you said you haven't worked, I believe, since the beginning of the year. So that makes it harder as no, well. No, no, no. Three months. Three months. I've started listening to you since the beginning, to, since the beginning gotcha. of the year. Then, you know. I, gotcha. Um, and so not having uh, material security. And what is the biggest thing um, on the inside of you? There may be no correlation, but what is the biggest thing on the inside of you that keeps you from uh, creating material security outside of you? It's understanding. Like, it's the level of my self-esteem. I think it's going higher up, but I know if I, you know, if I think I don't deserve things, I can put 100% of effort, I still won't get them. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you, you say things like shit falling from the sky. It happens for me sometimes of my life when I would let things come to me without effort. Hmm. And they did. And so let me ask you, you say the biggest thing that keeps you from 
if I'm, I want to just connect the dots here. So the biggest thing in my life that is still raw sewage uh, is my not having material security. And that's a result of, on the inside, my level of self-esteem, basically, and my, if I don't deserve something, um, it just, it, I can't materialize and so forth. And so what's really impacting creating the greatest problem in my life is my own lack of worth, my own lack of yeah. uh, of self-esteem. And what do you think is the biggest thing that is in you? So that's what's missing is a lack of a sense of worth. Although I would offer it's down there. It's down there so deep. It's just that there's so much other rocks and crud and manure packed on top of it. And I guess what I'm wondering is what is the, then the, my next question then is what is the biggest thing inside of you blocking that? What is the biggest belief or the biggest uh, message or the biggest thing you've been told about yourself? What is the single biggest thing that you believe about yourself still that blocks your natural self-love from rising up? What's the biggest blockage? In one sentence or less, as tight as you can. The beliefs I've been fed that I haven't yet tracked, that silence when I because when, when I know there's a belief blocking it, I can journal it and I can get rid of it. Say more about the silence. So, for example, I noticed when I left the jobs, when I allowed myself be, I noticed when I start feeling happy, when I start feeling confident, I knock myself down. What's the fear? It, What's the fear happening that causes you uh, to knock yourself down? My mom would pretty much... It's almost like my family where... It's almost like I've hurt my family being confident. I've been selfish. I've been, you know, inconsiderate. I've been loud. And it's it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I hurt people around if I'm if I'm happy, if I'm confident. You hurt H U R T. You hurt them or you yes, hurt. Yes. So if I am confident and believe in myself, I will hurt people around me. So I deliberately knock myself down so that I don't hurt them. Plus, people feel yeah more comfort more comfortable about me around me when I'm you know when I'm down. And so, if people feel more comfortable around you when you're down, then the child and teenager and adult, if you want to be liked, you're going to become who they'll like. And if they like you when you're down and oh I'm just crap and I'm no good, then you're going to stay that way because then at least they'll like me. But you're hating yourself right right yeah. and so that longing that desire to have them like you is keeping you in this state of knocking yourself down let me ask you this if so in the past if you were to have liked yourself and said you know i'm good at this or if you were to have succeeded at something would they knock you down uh i had a best friend who would leave me when there was a possibility of me going into a relationship or when I got started my professional job, when I succeeded at school very much, I felt so alone and I developed eating disorder. Uh, when I'd be happy, my family would say things to put me down. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So what needs to happen here? And it's, it's easy for me to say, but you're going to have to do the work to do it. Your deliberately thinking bad of yourself and living less than the life you really want, you are choosing as a way to avoid criticism, attacks from people, and you're doing it, you're going to keep yourself down as a way to make them like you. And it's also in part, and it's largely in part, because if 
I don't have people near me, even if they're not nice people, if I don't have people near me, I feel alone. And the loneliness, I believe you said, is scary and is uncomfortable and sad. Is that roughly in the ballpark of what alone is? Uh, it was for a long time. Okay. But I do like my company. I spent last three months pretty much on my own. And, you know, I was always told like, oh, no one will love you if you don't change. Or, you know, right. you'll, you'll never have friends. But I remember you said uh, your ability to be alone is a superpower. It is. And that gave me the permission to be like, no, I like my company. And, you know, things do change. And so now what has to happen is you giving yourself permission to like you. You giving yourself permission to believe in you. I know I'm not saying you have to go around in every conversation and say, I am the best person in the world. I'm just going to let you all know right now I'm the best. You don't have to do that, okay? But inside and in your actions and in your choices, they have to begin to reflect this knowledge, this not even a belief, just this truth that I like me and that's just how it's going to be. And if you have anyone around you, let me ask you this. Who is the biggest person you still have around you that would most criticize or look at you sideways or scowl or be mean to you or hurt you if you began to live your life your way and believe in yourself? Who's the number one person who is still in your life who would try to undermine that or not like it? Who do you fear losing most if you most become yourself? I don't think I fear losing anyone. Okay, then it's who? More, like it's, it's frustrating that I can't cut people off quite as quickly. But why can't like, you cut them off if you can't cut them off? Because I, I may end up homeless. <laughs> well, and that's just it. Right. Okay, so this is about, so it's not that I fear not having anyone uh, like for affirmation reasons. So if I'm hearing you correctly, just so I'm clear, I feel comfortable being myself and loving myself and finally just getting out of getting the people out of my life who suck and who suck my life energy. I'm okay doing that. Okay. It's hard. I struggle, yes, yes, but I yes. do it. Okay. So then the only thing that keeps you from living your fullest life of believing in yourself finally and building a life that makes you happy and friends that are actually good to you and you're good to them. The biggest thing that keeps you from doing that is that you're still living under the family's, you know, the building that the family owns or whatever. Is that what it is? And and also the beliefs that are still like sitting in my head. Okay. And, and as you know uh, from uh, following me and so forth, that that is just an ongoing thing that you have to do. Yeah. And, yep, and I know you're doing it and that's fantastic. And there are other tools um, that you've heard me talk about. One of those is the Sedona method. And that will accelerate the speed of that. It's a, it's a faster tool than journaling, but mm -hmm. someone, somebody has to really go through journaling first to begin to be able to name what they're feeling and, and really get down in there. Because once you're down in there, now it's just a question of how quickly can I dig the, the crap out? But you have to be, I, my book is to take you down there and teach you tools for getting it out. And one of those that accelerates that digging out the shit is the Sedona method. And particularly, and there's two aspects to it. And the second aspect sort of starts around chapter eight, nine, 10. Um, but 
then what I want you to do with that, I'm just going to tell you, either do it with Sedona or do it with Sedona or do it with journaling. Here's what you need to do. This is your life task. If you want to become fully happy, fully powerful, and fully clear, living in a sense of clarity and finally have fucking peace inside, what you need to do, and you're at a level, you've been doing the work, so I can give you this assignment. This isn't a beginner's assignment. This is an advanced assignment. I want you, and this is going to sound like, oh, shit. <laughs> you thought you've been doing work, all right? I want you literally to take a pen and a paper, or if you're a computer person, you can do it computer. I'm, I like longhand. Ah, there, you have a pen. All right. Um, I want you to bullet point, list every single memory of your entire life that has any sort of emotional charge attached to it whatsoever, any sort of particularly negative emotional charge, embarrassed, disappointed, frustrated, angry, fucking livid, hatred, sorrow, sadness, grief, lethargy, anything, all right? And part of what you'll learn in Sedona Method is just it lists all the feelings by about nine different categories, so it helps you to categorize. And so I want you to bullet point, make all these bullet points of all these memories, and then next to the bullet point, list the different feelings, negative feelings that are attached to that memory. And then what I want you to do is go through and I want you to either A, or you can do one or both, journal the shit out of every single one of those feelings or once you get fluent in Sedona, which you can do basically right away. And it's just a sequence of questions. And, but remember, there's a part two, chapters eight, nine, 10 in there. Um, and you just go through on every single feeling. You may come back to it later um, and so forth, but I want you to begin the releasing of all of those emotional charges attached to all of those memories from the past because you're at the level now where you're there. You've had the confidence and the courage to push people out of your life. You want to live. You've affirmed that and you've pushed the people out. You've pushed out a job with the extreme taker. Now it's time to do the deep dive because it's this stuff in here that's holding back the whole equation. It's all the shit and all the rocks packed on top of your authentic self. And if we clear those out, if we clear those out, you'll be all set. And um, and uh, you, you, in fact, you'll begin to see the process. You'll begin to see the changes very, very quickly. Um, and But it's something, I, I still use it literally every single day. I use it every day. I use it throughout the day. If I'm feeling something in any sort of situation, I'm using it then. Um, and so I strongly encourage you to do that exercise and that will change everything. Um, I want to ask you one final question, Vita, and it's simply this. Um, what final question do you have for me? If any. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes when I talked about my dad's infidelity to my mother with therapists, they were like, oh, it's not your business. You should be grateful to your dad and you know, and, and, it's between your mom and, and your dad. Okay. So what's your question? So what, what's your, what's your point of like how, how that would like, well, okay. Yeah. Because it, go ahead, please. It, it would make me feel we have nothing to do. We're not a family. We're just like, we're separate people. And just so I'm clear, who cheated on whom? Uh, my dad cheated on my mom. And your therapist said you should feel grateful for your dad. Like basically the the place I'm from, the message is like parents are 
gods more or less and you should be grateful whatever okay and and one of the therapists i've had in my life they were like you know it's it's not like I, i'd say like i'm really annoyed with my dad i'd mentioned something uh-huh. and, and, okay. and and they'd be like well you you shouldn't like you know yeah it's it's between your parents it's not the child's business yeah, all right well in 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 my therapy i always tell my clients i'm never going to tell you what to do all right because then I'm failing. My job is just to get all the crud out of you and then you do what feels right to you to do. So let me answer your question with a question very tightly. If you were to answer in one sentence or less, what do you want to do or say or think about your father? Apart from what everyone else tells you, all these shitty therapists tell you you should think, what do you think? What do you feel? In one sentence or less, if you were to be totally honest, what the fuck do you really feel towards your father? Uh, a very colorful chapter in my journal. And the essence <laughs> of it. to him. Okay, and sum it up in one sentence. What do you feel towards your father regarding the cheating? I'll say what comes now, Go. that he's a low life. He's a low life. You don't respect your father. You're likely pissed no. off at him too. And And so let me ask you this. Final, final question is simply this. And it's a tiny little question, but... <laughs> And it has two parts, part A and part B. It's a little question. What percent, mm-hmm. if you were to be totally honest, do you hate your father? And what percent do you hate your mother? Little question. My father, probably 70%, and my mother, probably 80 70% and 80%. All right. And in your journaling, that's where you can start as well. And I'm willing to bet that as you go into that hate, you may discover it's bigger. And you need to be... It's some days it's 100%. Oh, I'm sure. And I was asking sort of over, over the full corpus, the full 30 whatever years of your life, 35, 36 uh, years of your life, and you may discover over that time it's even bigger. Or maybe you'll discover it's less, but you need to be flushing out all that hatred because you've been told basically your feelings that you feel aren't matter, don't matter, aren't, aren't significant. You even went to fucking professionals who told you that. That's fucking horrible. No, get that shit out of you. Allow it out of you. All of these crazy feelings and and that are real and and you have every right to feel and have. You need to give them the light of day because by doing that, you are saying, my feelings matter. I matter. I matter. And no one ever validated my feelings. So damn it, I'm doing it right now today because I matter. Because that little seven-year-old girl, that little 12-year-old girl, I'm going to open up that box that she had to stuff all of her feelings into. For once, I'm going to give her the gift of finally giving her a voice. But she's giving you the gift of reintroducing you to who you really were back then because you had to stuff all of it into that box. So you're giving her a gift and she's giving you a gift. And she's been carrying that box of all the feelings for 36 years. And she's now saying, please open it. You're strong enough. I wasn't strong enough. Please. And that's what you need to do. I want to thank you so much for being on the show, Vita. You've just been a wonderful guest, a masterful command of this language. I don't know what the hell you do for a living, but you know the English language better than I do. So thank you. Uh, But apart from your language, thank you for opening up. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, Very, very powerful. And please uh, stay in touch with us. What a great show. Uh, Two amazing women. Thank you all for tuning into the show. On behalf of KC over in the booth and Rob, my dear and trusted ally here in studio, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. 
The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.